Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Ray Tango. He's done it to us again. If it isn't Tango, it's Cash. Tango and Cash, Cash and Tango. These two cops are driving me crazy. We have to do something about this. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Tango and Cash. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from a undisclosed maximum security prison in L.A., my name is Don. And to my right, we have the comic book guy, John. Well, if it isn't Armani with a badge... And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. The comic book guy has uh, spoken very eloquently. I wish I could be as forgiving, but I can't because this whole thing fucking sucks. I mean, this is the biggest pile of shit that I have ever. Well done, professor. How are you guys doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah? Doing good. Yeah. We're talking a little Tango and Cash. If you have been with us this entire time, A. Thank you. And B, good on you, right? Um, I'm sure it's not easy. But we are now entering round eight in the three guys search for the best classic 80s action flick out there. We had a list of movies. There's a criteria. I think there's seven other podcasts that explain all that to you. So go back and listen. So tonight we're talking about Tango and Cash, which was released on December 22nd, 1989. It was directed by Andre Konchalovsky. Screenplay by Randy Feldman, and it stars Sylvester Stallone, Kurt Russell, Jack Palance, Terry Hatcher, and a bunch of other actors. Tango and Cash is, in fact, the last action movie released in the 80s. So, you know, going out with a bang, I was looking to watch it and i can't remember where i was looking and and for some reason uh the device or the app i was on said that it was released in 1990 and i started to shit my pants a little bit because i'm like oh fuck now i gotta hear it it's a 1990 movie and will never fly right so i had to look it up and then yeah in fact it did come out in december 22nd yeah and it um i i think it's kind of a culmination of every action movie throughout the decade. There are so many tropes that we have seen a gazillion times throughout even the movies that we've been reviewing, all kind of wrapped up in a nice bow with Stallone and Kurt Russell. And I got to fucking tell you, I enjoyed it. That I was going to say the exact same thing. It almost feels like this movie watched all the other great 80s action movies of the 80s and just said, okay, we're going to take everything that worked and put it in this movie with, you know, 
Kurt Russell kind of redoing a character he's done before and Stallone kind of getting out of the box. Kurt Russell's kind of that fun, jovial uh, bad boy, which we've seen before. And uh, Stallone, completely out of the box, right? He's completely taking a left turn in what we have previously seen him in and come to expect. And uh, did you know that he didn't want to do it? He didn't want to do the comedic role. He wanted to be more serious. And that was one of the things that kind of led to uh, the director leaving two-thirds before this movie was finished. Infamously, this movie has had like three directors, mm-hmm. which is fucking crazy. It's a big train wreck. But it all kind of comes together. And I'm really super happy that Stallone didn't get his way and they he went into the comedic side because I think he's fucking funny uh, being completely opposite of Rambo and Rocky. You know what I mean? Well, his next couple of movies kind of reflect this as well, because after this, he does Oscar and Stop My Mom or My Mom Will Shoot. Yeah. So, yeah, he's he's t- taken a different tack. Yeah. And it's not until 93 where he does Cliffhanger, where he kind of gets back into character, I mm-hmm. guess I should say. I mean, I didn't mind Oscar. I thought it was cute. Stop her, My Mom Will Shoot. <laughs> it, it, it's, okay it's a groomer yeah it's, yeah okay but i mean he comes back you know mm-hmm. so did you know that that was his actual glasses in uh tango and cash in tango cash that was his own personal glasses he i guess is nearsighted oh really something like that and so yeah that's what he uses to read oh interesting here's another interesting fact listeners we are all don john and myself all wearing our actual own glasses as well How'd the movie do, Don? Uh, this movie was made for $54 million, and it brought in $120 million. Not a bad haul. Yeah, it's respectable compared to some of our other action movies on our list. For the movies on our list, yeah, the, this is a pretty sizable uh, chunk. But as far as movies in 1989, Professor, where does this land? Well, actually, it lands... A lot further down the list than what we're talking about. The $120 million represents revenue that also comes in from video rentals. And this movie had a really, really successful run in the VHS realm over in Europe, like Russia and such. So for box office, this movie actually only made in the USA $63 million. However, as we're stating, this summer of 89 and this was released in december so it's not even a summer run movie right but this this movie this summer of 1989 you have 251 million dollars out of batman and then after that we have indiana jones and the last crusade that brought in 197 million and then the third highest domestic grossing movie was lethal weapon 2 at 147 million dollars so it's actually way down there on the list but it does make a lot back courtesy of Europe. Sure, sure. And that's kind of typical with American action movies back then too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and, and, you know, we certainly have, have found other gems ourselves that are, uh, they have a second life, if you will, after they leave the theater, either through a cult following or, you know, a, a Friday night rental, right? There have been several examples of this where we have uh, a movie that, you know, it gets a second set of legs. And yeah. this is one of them. Did you uh, happen to see this in the theater? No way. This is blockbuster all the way. Sir? Blockbuster. Yeah, me too. But in general, you guys like the movie? Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a fun 80s action movie if you just watching it for the ride. I was excited to get back on track because you guys know how I felt about last week's movie. 
and our list and what we're doing. But this one, this one falls right smack dab in the middle of all the fucking uh, criteria and everything that goes along with it. What about you, Professor? It's a guilty pleasure. It, it's it's not a great movie, but it certainly is a guilty pleasure. And, and it, it, it leans on all of those tropes rather heavily. You know, this movie could have been a very different movie had the original star... Uh, who was going to play Cash, not dropped out. Do you know who that is? Yeah, but thank God he did, or we would have never gotten Roadhouse. No shit. Roadhouse. Could, was- you, could you imagine if it flopped? Kurt Russell is now Dalton, and Patrick Swayze is now Cash. What kind of a world would that be? Upside down. Upside yeah. down. The crazy thing is, we almost had Patrick Swayze in this movie, and then Kurt Russell, did you know what 1987 movie he was supposed to be in? 1987? Dirty Dancing? No. No. No, uh, yeah, I thought I was thinking something else. As he well. was originally. Oh, okay, wait, 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 hang on. What? What were you thinking? Lethal Weapon. Yeah, he was offered the role of Martin Riggs originally in Lethal Weapon, and his character of Cash is actually meant to kind of be inspired by Martin Riggs. How in the fucking world did I not know that? I don't know. That's kind of weird. It is weird. But oh yeah, you can totally see uh, little glimpses of Riggs inside of Cash. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In fact. This movie, I felt like, really borrowed from the formula of Martin and Riggs. Oh, it... Or of a Lethal Weapon. It it borrowed... Well, Lethal Weapon borrowed the formula from other movies, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, cop, a buddy cop movie wasn't um, a new concept, but I think that what Lethal Weapon brought was uh, chemistry between the two key players. That's what I think sets it apart from other uh, buddy action movies. This one included. However... I really do love the chemistry between Stallone and Russell. It's that uh, it's that twinkle in Kurt Russell's eye, and and his smile is always flashing. Yeah, and I love just how. Would you say that Stallone was dry? He was using a dry humor in this. The script was pretty loosey goosey. Yeah, yeah. When they started shooting, they they really didn't have an active script, and and it was uh, constantly being tweaked. I got the impression from what I was reading that. Stallone was doing a lot of that tweaking in conjunction with, you know, how they, they were having the movie roll along. It was certainly something that Stallone could have had an impact in because he's got a ton of one-liners. Yeah. Stallone is probably at his, one of his peaks in 89, right? Right before the downfall, like we were kind of talking. So I'm sure if he said, Hey, I think we should say this, or I should say this. I'm sure they're like, okay, sure. He's Rocky. He's Rambo. Yeah. And he's a fucking writer. Yep. You know, so he does know what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When it came to Kurt Russell, was he just playing a typical Kurt Russell character or did you kind of feel like he was playing a scaled back Jack Burton? No, I think that with Kurt Russell, he has such a charm and charisma to him that I think he makes every character just a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But he has what not everyone has. He has a coolness about him and i think that coolness kind of engulfs the character and no matter what he's playing i think it's different than all of the other ones yeah i'll agree with that he he definitely has a a screen charisma that uh you are drawn to him and he and he is able to effectively harness that uh inner uh that that inner uh, compelling need to look at me yeah yeah, I would almost say he was cooler than Jack Burton. Almost. He's more effective than Jack Burton. Yeah. But, 
I think Jack still might be just a wee bit cooler than Cash, but Cash is fucking up there. Did you guys recognize the music? Who did the music? Frickin' Harold Faltemeyer. Right, because as it starts, I'm thinking, wait, was this in Beverly Hills Cop? It sounds just like Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, and and you get that running theme throughout it, and you know it's going to be fun. And Harold Faltemeyer, fucking, he did everything in the 80s, yeah, all the action movies, yeah, right? Did. So, you know, they were really grasping and kind of you know, going out with a bang of that, of this decade of excessiveness and over the top male macho, uh, style movies, you know, cause in the nineties, everything starts to calm down a little bit. I consider Tango and cash the last of the great eighties action flicks. So it took, quite literally, it took us about 28 years for these two to appear in a movie together. What movie would they appear in? Well, they, appear in the movie yes yeah, but not together but not together can i have what is guardians of the galaxy volume two for 800 please that would be correct sir yes the other piece of information i thought was interesting is that apparently these days stallone really is excited about wanting to do a sequel to this movie and he's trying to get kurt russell on board so they can actually pump out a new one our legacy sequels that like we were talking about mm-hmm. tango and cash Bring it back, baby. <laughs> Bring it back. I would like to point out another thing that, that seems to be uh, something of the 80s that you were talking about, Don. Something else that we get is uh, this boardroom villain, right? He's got a fancy office with a plush leather chairs and a bank of televisions. That seems to be a rather common trope as well. Yeah. Uh, the James Bond villain, as I kind of like to call him, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit of scaled back. Uh, what'd you guys think of Jack Palance? You know, I can't think of a movie that I don't like him in. Yeah. He always brings that style of just creepy character that works in these movies. Yeah. And he's, he's a great villain. Oh yeah. He's an absolute great villain. Yeah. And, and the fact of who sniffs rats, uh, Jack Palance does. Cause he's a crazy rat sniffer fucker drug dealer weapon seller yeah, nobody even really knows what this guy does right mm-hmm. but he's a he uh, apparently he's in charge of Quan and lopez lopez and <laughs> it was lopez but and he i almost wanted to call him the game master just because he liked playing the games with people oh yeah for sure and he even had the rats in the maze yeah, which yeah. was an example of what i don't know I, I don't know, because what? Tango and Cash weren't technically in a maze. But didn't they kind of foreshadow when they later on in the movie referred to driving around in a rat maze? Wah, wah, wah. I was thinking you were going more toward the sewers in the prison. No, they refer to it as when they start in the RV from hell. <laughs> right. Right there in a rat right, maze. No, I get that. But the foreshadowing could have also meant. Oh, I've got three examples of foreshadowing. Do you want me to go through them now? No, uh, no. In fact, let's put that on the calendar and let's do that March 23rd, 2026. Are you foreshadowing that future date? (laughs) Motherfucker. Beverly Hills LAPD Lieutenant Raymond Tango and downtown Los Angeles Lieutenant Gabriel Cash are considered the two best cops in Los Angeles. They are opposite in almost every way and have an intense rivalry with each considering himself to be the best. Their actions often make headlines for their large drug busts through the Southern California area. 
Unbeknownst to them, all the shipments actually belong to a single criminal organization headed by Yves Perret. After Tango's latest bust, Perret convinces his associates, Quan and Lopez, that the two officers have become a problem and they need to be taken care of. What did you think of the introduction of our two main characters? Oh, I thought it was a great classic you know, let's just jump on the motorcycle and go for a ride. First, we're introduced to Stallone because, I mean, he was probably billed on the marquee first. And, uh, you know, we see him driving in his car in a chase. Boring chase, but chase nonetheless. You know, chuck it up. And the guys in the helicopter, you're out of your jurisdiction, Tango. What are you trying to do, buddy? You know, that whole thing. But we already know he's a loose cannon. Uh, Tango's not uh, Tango's not a loose cannon. Well, he doesn't operate with partners or bringing in backup and everything. He just takes care of it all himself. Yeah. He, he wants he wants the credit. He's more of a lone wolf. That's okay. what I think, too. Okay. Yeah. So he uh, has to stop this big rig, this tanker. And he thinks he has it under control, stopping a tanker with a snub-nosed 38. Well, he does. Did you not watch the same thing I did? I was wondering, when he gets out of the car and he opens up his gun and he pulls out all the bullets and puts in a new set of rounds, do you know why he did that? Uh, I'm thinking he was changing out the bullets, armor-piercing bullets. No, I read online that police will sometimes do this because they don't know how many shots they may have already previously fired and they don't want an empty chamber, so they just want to fill it so that they know exactly how many shots they have left. Yeah, and plus it looks fucking cool. Right, you had to have it all slow mo, and he's in his Armani suit. He's so relaxed, and he, you know he's got his glasses on, and the trucks coming, and you know it's man against truck, and he shoots, and the truck stops, and the two guys go flying out the windshield. Mm-hmm. Classic. The gentleman that they, I guess they call him the movie Face, he's referred to later as Conan. Do you know that that's not a prosthetic on his chin? No, he's all natural. Yeah, he had some, I guess, genetic condition when he was born to uh, that gave him that oversized chin. And what other movies did he appear in? You motherfucker. I was just going to ask you that because I've been racking my brain trying to place him, but I know I've seen him in other 80s action movies there is a series of three movies he is famous for oh maniac cop maniac cop what else though i feel like there's something else was he a bad guy in a jean-claude van damme movie i don't know for sure i know he has appeared a lot in a lot of movies yeah god if there was only this thing that we could look at and give us information why are you looking at me you're the fucking professor you know everything for fuck's sakes well, I don't know because I didn't recognize him from anything because I was strange, strangely obsessed with his jaw. <laughs> well, ever, that's why I call him face. Have you ever seen Maniac Cop? I've seen the first one. I've never seen him, but now I want to go back and watch him. For him? Yeah. Because I, I was reading up on trying to do some research on him. Unfortunately, I guess he passed away in the early 2000s. But uh, I was doing some research and I wish I could remember his movies because he's done a lot of big things. Yeah, that's weird. That's weird. What does this have to do with cocaine and a semi-truck? I don't know, but we didn't get to the cocaine until... I think this is one of my favorite lines of the movie. The tankers stop, and they can't find the drugs, and everyone's yelling at him, and he you know, does the macho thing and shoots the tanker. But before that, the one cop is like, Tango, I want your badge. I want your ass. 
And then he goes, who do you think you are? And the guy on top of the tanker's like, he thinks he's Rambo. Rambo is a pussy. I just think such a great line coming from Rambo. Totally. Yeah. What did you guys think of Stallone's introduction? I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, he comes across um, how he is in the movie. I find him to be smug and trite, and he always has a one-liner. It's almost like he can't say a regular sentence. The only thing I think that bothered me about his character is when they talk about that he's been on the police force for only 12 years, and he's already that smug, that snobbish, and that well, you know, that much of a super cop in just 12 years. You don't you think it's too soon? I feel like it was a little too soon to excel at something in 12 years. Well, you think he started out probably as a beat cop or right out of the thing, you know, for five, six years. Then maybe he went into not detective. if he's the shit and making yeah. busts and moving his way up. That number just seemed weird to me. No, I didn't question it. Okay, that seems weird to me. <laughs> um, and then we get to meet. Our antagonist next, oh so briefly. And this, and I like this bit because it just tells us right away that here's the bad guy and here are his two henchmen. And, you know, we see Jack Palance and we already know he's the bad guy. And But after we meet our antagonist, we get to meet Gabriel Cash. What'd you guys think of Kurt Russell's introduction? I thought it was okay. Yeah, not too hip on it, huh? No, it didn't. Like I said, his character really didn't jump out at me like a Martin Riggs, like a you know crazy kind of out of control, loose well, cannon. Well, he wasn't supposed to be. But I thought that's the way they were trying to portray it: is the smug Beverly Hills cop with the you know loose cannon L.A. cop. Right, but at some point during the movie, you would have to decide that that's not his character. Okay. Yeah, you, I you, didn't. I didn't take him like that didn't? at all. I just felt like that's the way, if you read the movie description, that's the kind of the way they portrayed him. Is that, well, how, you, no, is I, that how you watch a movie? I usually will look at the description first. Right, I, right. No, it, and, and I get that, but as you were watching it, he didn't do anything to change your mind on that? No. Well, interesting. Okay. Well, there you go. What do you think? Uh, I, I liked it well enough. You know, he, he's sitting there admiring himself in the mirror. I'm so great. He, in the car, he pulls up in eating a burrito. Okay, but okay, but how does the bad guy? How does the bad guy see that that Cash is standing right there in front of the mirror? Unless it's a one way mirror, little pervy. Well, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and say that the guy who was standing behind the mirror. Uh, heard footsteps, and that's how he deduced that Cash would be right there. And then we get him being shot a couple of times, and then all of a sudden he gets another weapon out of his boot. He's got, it's like a Get Smart Maxwell Smart boot. Yeah, the boot is the weapon. Right. I love it. Yeah, I mean, he comes out and he's getting shot and almost shot off the fucking balcony, but no, like all good cops, he's wearing his bulletproof vest. And then we get a chase. Well, sort of a car chase. I mean, it's an underground garage. Right. But I mean, one person is chasing another person. And we get the police trope of, or the action movie trope of, I need your car. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Police business. I've always wanted to try that. Uh, commandeer someone's car. Get a badge. I'm a cop. I need your car. If a cop did that to me, I'd say, fuck you. And I'd drive away. <laughs> <laughs> Depends depends on the situation, I suppose. What did you think of the the cash? Oh, I love I loved I loved the uh, openings to both of them. 
It right away tells us who we're dealing with. Exactly. And we can move forward, right? That's, exactly. And that's one thing that I do appreciate about these 80s action flicks is that our pace and that we can move the story along. And we don't need to have a mind-blowing story with twists and turns. Sometimes it's okay just to have fun. And that's what Tango and Cash was. It was yeah. just fucking fun. That's exactly what I felt too. Is like again, we talked about all the tropes in it, but really, it was just giving us what we love about every action movie out there. Then from here, we get to meet Kiki, and it is yet to be disclosed to us what Kiki is in this story arc. Right, because after the bust, we get uh, office life with Tango, and we see that uh, someone does call him Armani with a badge. Right? Oh no, 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 he doesn't. So uh, Ray's at the office, and we know that Kiki's waiting for him, or Catherine. They call her Catherine. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, as the audience, don't know that they're brother and sister. Uh, we are led to believe that they are, have some sort of relationship. A very personal relationship. And, you, and we get from this interaction that Ray is uh, uh, overbearing. He is a protector maybe an overprotector, but when it comes to like a stock call coming in, he'll drop everything and take his, take his call. He, that, he, he's definitely a wall street cop. And that's the other thing that's given to us is he's on the phone with, you know, with his stock market guy. Yeah. And that, and that joke's going to come back uh, multiple times throughout this film, mm -hmm. him being the stock broker. But I will say you are, you are forced to be, Okay, I was forced to be led to believe it's got to be his sister based on the way that they were talking to each other and the fact that she's insistent on doing her own thing. And he does kind of come across as a very big brother uh, vibe, mm -hmm. for sure. So when Cash was at home, he has the newspaper, right? And in the upper right-hand corner, it says that Tango has made a billion-dollar bust. And then in the lower left-hand corner... Uh, you have caches and that's where you can tell that there is a competition, a rivalry, a rivalry. Uh, and you know, cash is like, Hey, I made the, it's Armani with a badge and I made the paper. Well, I always look for symbolism in movies and I did like the fact, obviously that they placed it in a way that it would basically say tango and cash, as well as showing that tango is uptown. And at the bottom you have cash who is downtown. Yeah. And we do get um, major plot points that are revealed in our story arc because of these uh, newspaper clippings. So then we get to see uh, Cash be the kind of cop that he is because he wants to have a little private interrogation with the guy that tried to kill him. Yeah, what did you think of that whole interrogation scene? I totally knew it was coming. You could see it a mile away. Yeah, I like when Cash walks in and he looks at the guard and gives him the thumbs out, like, get out of here. But why is your interrogation room in the locker room? Well, it looked, it was it a locker room or a bathroom? I thought it was a bathroom, but why is the prisoner who just tried to kill a cop just walking on his own kind of in the bathroom? Maybe just one guard, but still, the guy's just kind of there. Attempted why, cop killer. Why are the lords of death just walking around a fucking airport not being monitored secure by security either? It's the fucking 80s. This is what happened. Mm -hmm. Things are way too lax. Yeah, and you know, cash... Kind of got some information. I like the bit where he uh, puts the chair on his throat. You know what? I want to try that. So when we're done, one of you gets to get a ch uh, a chair to the throat. Not it. 
I'm sorry, Ken. Well, I'm Ooh. sitting on the chair. I know. Well, you'll stand up, and then I'll ask you to sit, and then I'll take it out from under you. And it's going to cool. be a whole bit. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it'll be fine. It's going to be fun. Perrette, believing that having them killed is too quick and easy, develops an elaborate scheme to discredit and humiliate them before finally torturing them to death. Individually informed of a drug deal taking place later that night, the detectives meet for the first time at the location and discover a dead, wiretapped body just as the FBI arrive and surround the duo. Agent Weiler finds Cash's backup pistol with attached suppressor on the floor and arrests him. At their murder trial, Tango and Cash are incriminated by an audio tape verified in court by Skinner, an audio expert. It appears to reveal them shooting the undercover FBI agent after discussing a drug purchase. With the evidence stacked against them, they plead no contest to a lesser charge in exchange for reduced sentences in a minimum security prison. Instead, they get transported to a maximum security prison and are housed with many of the criminals they had each arrested. So Perrette comes up with this idea to, you know deal with his problem and in the meantime uh cash got the information from the informant the guy that he arrested and tango got a tip from his captain about a drug deal going down and as it turns out it's a fucking setup so they meet at the place wherever this drug deal is going down and, and they meet each other for the first time this is the first time that tango and cash get to have some screen time together what'd you guys think of this bit well, I love the fact, you know, that they almost did the kind of the face-off thing with they're both on either side of the wall and they're approaching each other and they pull the guns on each other. And, of course, that's the picture that was on every movie poster. I thought uh, the way it played out was completely ridiculous. And having 47 police officers show up, you know, there's a gun on the ground and a guy laying there. Why, if you're both police officers, why are you immediately assumed to be guilty and you did something bad? You're police officers. Oh, right. And why are 47 police officers showing up for this? Did right. You- yeah. No, we, the, the whole plot is fucking ridiculous. But I was talking about uh, when Tango Cash first meet, what did you think of the interaction between Stallone and Russell? You're, the whole, you're the second best cop. Or- yeah. They can't talk in a normal sentence to each other. It has to be a, a zinger. And like a one upper every yes, single time. Absolutely. What are you talking? Like, what are you fucking delusional? I would have. Uh, you would have never got a shot off with that gun. No, not this gun. This gun. You know, you knew that was coming too. So, I thought it was cute. I thought I bought the chemistry right away. I liked the one-upmanship and going back and forth, back and forth. Um, so they decide, you know, I guess to work together, and they're about to enter the room. And I love what Kurt Russell says. He says, "All right, this is your bust. How do you want to do it?" Knowing damn well he's going to do whatever he wants. He's going to go in the room first. Yeah, so it's the one, two, three, go, which we famously get through a couple of movies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. This this is where the plot kind of goes, okay, now we're in fairy tale land. Because, yeah, you had 40 FBI agents show up. You have the two most highly decorated cops in L.A. And you don't even, I mean... It's not like they even got a chance to explain anything. One of the things I thought was kind of weird, and I had to watch it a couple times, the FBI captain, whoever was in charge, did you see him sneak the gun in? No. 
he actually at the scene where they pan to down where he finds him you can see him slide that gun in real quick and oh. it actually moves for a second as he gets it there and then he picks it up and that's why later on cash calls him out for planting that gun so they are arrested and you know one of our criterias was having a montage this is as close as we get to a montage this is just, and then that's mm. a great way of saying that professor it now it's not a montage per se because we get snippets of dialogue but we feel but we progress very quickly through mm. the story and they're giving us a big chunk of exposition in a quick time and you know what we don't need a whole lot all right they got arrested we're gonna fucking go along with it but here's what i don't get why would their lawyers want a plea deal clearly they didn't do anything wrong because if they are found guilty they will get a whole worse sentence and they think that there's no way they're not going to be found guilty but they're the two most highly decorated cops in L.A. But it's also somewhat believable that maybe part of the reason they're the most two decorated cops is because they're crooked and they know where all the drug busts are going to be. Well, that just seems asinine. That maybe they're the ones who are running all the drugs. Maybe it was the doctored audio tape. I know. Did you love being a person who edits you know, on the computer and does all that kind of stuff? Did you love seeing that throwback to the audio tape and thinking about him cutting it? And I loved how fast he fucking did it. Mm -hmm. I mean, where's this guy when I need him? You know what I mean? Uh, I've actually cut a reel-to-reel, -reel and yeah. It's not fast. Not at all. So Ponytail comes up to the guy, and he gives him the tape and says... Requiem. Raquin, Raquin, Raquin. Mm -hmm. uh, he comes up and he says, Perret says to use this tape. And then the dude from the FBI gives Raquin a tape. So who really cut the tape? Was it Raquin and his henchmen? No, I think it's supposed to be the guy who's the expert. Then why did Raquin give him a tape? He probably gave him a tape and said, here's the original tape. Now cut it to make it. Then what tape did the dude in the car give him? I don't know. Maybe they'd already created the tape. I don't know. Well, thank you for trying. <laughs> uh, so they had the uh, incriminating evidence, and it turns out that they were going to go... Uh, well, they plead guilty. They plead guilty, and they're going to go spend some time in a minimum security. I like this bit when um, the lawyer's talking to Stallone, and he goes, uh, Ray, you got to take this deal, blah, blah, blah. And uh, Tango says... I want to talk to cash. And I think that it, they're starting to respect each other as, you know, decorated cops. Um, you also get the impression they're both honorable in the fact that he will not take the plea deal unless cash is also, he's not going to screw cash. That, that's a better way of saying that they're both honorable men. Right. And mm -hmm. so uh, they decide to take the, <laughs> they decide to take the deal. This is probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie is this courtroom scene. Where they're talking, just the two of them? No, when uh, uh, they come back. When Tango oh. gives his big, elegant I loved, speech. I love Tango's eloquent speech. Uh, Your Honor, I've been a cop for 12 years, and I love everybody. You know, he's just so good. And But before that, uh, Cash is like, I want to say something, and Tango's like, no, you're not going to say nothing. And then Tango says what he has to say, sits down, and the judge says, uh, would you like to add something, Mr. Cash? And the look... 
that they give each other, it had me laugh. Even the lawyer was like, no. No, it was so funny. Can we talk about Requeen real quick? Rakeen. Rakeen real quick. I guess he's played by Brian James. Yeah. Uh, he should win the award for worst British accent ever in any movie. Really? I thought it was fucking spot on. I thought it sounded a little bit Australian. What What do you think, Professor? Do you have any opinions on his accent in this movie? I thought it worked. Were you in the least bit surprised that they ended up at a maximum security prison? No! We're not even in 20 minutes into the movie. Of course they're going to a maximum security. Of course it's going to be switched. And you know that they're going into general population. Oh, fuck. That was without a doubt. I cannot believe that there is a prison around where... The guards just walk down with my prisoners. I'm just transporting my prisoners while there's open fires. Yeah, like obviously a riot or something has gone on. And they're just strolling. As they are walking in, you know, they have to do their one upsman still. And uh, I love when they walk by faces cell and uh, he's going crazy and uh, Stallone grabs him through the bars and slams his head against the the bars i mean these guys aren't taking any shit and we get the obvious arnold schwarzenegger reference of it's conan yeah i loved you and conan the barbarian yeah and then uh i (laughs) cash's line i like too he says christ i put half these guys away and they're just walking and you got piss coming down and fires and yeah crazy i guess the guards just don't fucking care what'd you think of the shower sequence how did i know that john wanted to talk about the shower well, it's got two guys, and they're in a shower. So I think that's kind of a And they're small talking with each other. Yes. Some yes. of the best conversations happen in a prison shower. Oh, yeah, including this one, I guess, right? Um, what did I think of the scene? I thought it was, you know, Kurt Russell's trying to figure out what's going on, so he's trying to talk it out, and he, he's kind of being that character. And Stallone is trying to think to himself and, you know, he's trying to come up with a plan or trying to figure out what the fuck is going on because clearly somebody fucked up and they're in the wrong place. And uh, the ending, you know, of course, you have two guys in the shower. You have to have the drop the soap bit, mm-hmm. and that's kind of a requirement. And I thought that uh, Kurt Russell's, come back to Stallone was was brilliant you know Kurt Russell runs down to get the soap and uh Stallone's like whoa 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 whoa, what are you doing and he's all relax just picking up the soap <laughs> but don't flatter yourself peewee and then that goes on that carries on uh throughout the film too and you know this should have been called Tango and Cash and the one-liners here's one of the second things that I had to question about this movie was did you notice what uh, Tango was wearing around his neck. His cross? He was wearing a gold chain with a cross. There is no prison out there that will allow people to keep their jewelry when they are booked into prison. And John knows this for a fact. Oh, yeah. I told you, it's been a little while, but I remember this stuff. Wait, so this is where the movie fell off the rails for you? I'm it just was saying. that detail? <laughs> it's some of these little details that just seemed a little odd that they would keep that in. A little odd that they would keep it in even though we shot at a tanker full of cocaine yeah all right hey man to each his own and so while they're in the shower they're talking and he tells tango you know they're going to put us in general population and tango goes no they're not they don't put cops in general population and then bam that's where they are 
and then they have to walk through the fire filled hallway and then they get to uh, their individual cells. Tango's roommate or cellmate, I guess, is Clint Howard. Ron Howard's brother, very famous character actor. I guess they called him Slinky in this movie. Yeah, that's, yeah, because he always was playing with the Slinky. And then, uh, you know, Kurt Russell got the big guy, which was, I like that bit because he walks into his cell, wants to take a piss, and, you know, he goes, uh, the cellmate puts his foot down and goes, you can't use that crapper, that's my crapper. And then uh, Kurt Russell's like, okay, well, let's do this now. And then the dude stands up and he goes, let's get one thing straight. That is yours. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, where the fuck is he supposed to go to the bathroom? He just gets to hold it. Fuck, I guess so. I guess so. I did appreciate that, you know, we got the nighttime scene where Kurt Russell is sleeping under just the giant guy who's almost hitting him, snoring, and he pokes him and he farts. And then we go back to Slinky. And he's all tied up in the Slinky. Yeah. I like the bit where Stallone's trying to read his newspaper and Slinky throws his Slinky at it and he rips it, but Stallone pays him no mind and he holds that little chart of paper up to look at it. You know, oh, stock market. Once in prison, Tango and Cash are roused from their beds and tortured by Rakeen, Perrette's henchmen, and a gang of prisoners. Until Matt Sorkowski, the assistant warden and Cash's former commanding officer, rescues them. Sorkowski recommends that they escape and provides them with a plan, but Tango opts out. When Cash tries to escape, he finds Skowoski murdered and in pursuit by the guards. Tango rescues him and they head for the roof. Cash zip lines outside the prison's walls, but Tango is attacked by the inmate Face before he can follow. Tango manages to electrocute Face by knocking him into the Transformer before escaping. To clear their names, they separate. Tango tells Cash that if he needs to contact him, he can go to the Cleopatra Club and ask for Catherine. So you knew it was only a matter of time before, you know, the gang or the prison collapsed on these two. Right. And how many prison movies have you seen where, you know, the doors open and inmates are taking care of other inmates, mm-hmm. you know? So I, Perrette has to own this whole fucking prison. How does he get in? How does he, uh, how do him and Rakeen get in? And then how does he make face the head of the guards? Yeah. He's like his lap dog. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I, I don't get it either. And this does give us a very action packed sequence and, you know, even compared to the finale, I think this might be my favorite action set piece of the entire film. Or the getting torture a, scene in the downstairs. The, the, the whole thing, from the time they get kidnapped from their bed until the time where the Tango poli- drops. The police show up after the electrocution? No, until uh, when um, the whole prison sequence. When they do the zip line. Yeah, when they do the zip line. Oh. Because there, there is a lull just in the in Oh, the so middle. brief. Yeah, because we are our heroes seem invincible. So we have to bring them down a little bit. And of course you get your obligatory torture scene. Uh, what'd you guys think of the whole bit where they get cornered and they start this big old fight? Well, one thing I appreciate about this movie is a lot of times when you have these buddy movies, sometimes one of the stars starts to come out as the lead character and the other one kind of falls into that sidekick. It seems like in this movie, whatever happened to one 
happened to the other. Whenever one was kind of being a badass, the other one was being just equally as a badass. So I appreciated that, you know, we didn't just get to watch one of them get tortured. They both get tortured kind of the same way. They both get beat up. They both lose the fight and get tied up kind of things. I appreciated that about this scene. I thought the fight was very predictable. As soon as they got uh, thrown into the room, oh, yeah, of course, everybody's going to show up. They're going to get the shit beat out of them. Oh, like, oh, and, oh, pirates here too. Okay, I get it. You know, I, I didn't raise my eyebrows to it at all. When this happens, I think it's one of my favorite lines from Kurt Russell when he says, uh, you know, he's trying to buy some time. You know, I don't want to be killed by this Line. jerk off. I want to be killed by an American <laughs> jerk off. And he has to stop and think about it. It's so good. Um, and the, But then they uh, get into this big fight and they're brawlers. For sure, and I have a lot to say uh, later on when we start talking about this battle royal again, but they're definitely brawlers. But they get overpowered, they get tortured, and then they get rescued, which you knew had to happen, and now they have to escape. What did you guys think of the whole uh, escape bit? I thought it was interesting because I, you know, I had seen this movie once before, but there were certain details I didn't remember. And I didn't remember the part of, you know, Kurt Russell working with Matt, coming up with this escape plan and Cash or Tango basically saying, I'm out. I'm, I'm not involved. I'm not going to be a part of it. I didn't remember him bowing out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I remember when I saw it, I'm thinking, oh, no, dude, you can't. You can't leave him alone. He's going to die. Yeah. So that was kind of a twist. And I didn't, you know, I figured when... Uh, Cash got cornered and was fall. That of course Tango's going to show up, but I don't don't think I saw the story going that direction. Yeah, yeah, and it, it was a good direction. I, I I didn't buy them being apart for a New York second. It, even though Tango stays behind, they're going to be back together on screen in five minutes, guaranteed, because they're they're locked at the hip in the movie. These mm-hmm. two guys are going to be together throughout the entire movie. Sure, sure. And, and so, you, and you knew as soon as Cash took off to do his solo thing that he was going to get trapped, and you knew that Tango was going to rescue him. The question was when. Mm-hmm. The, the only thing I didn't get was Tango's decision to stay. They just, you know, a whole mob of prisoners just tried to kill him. And, you know, he wasn't able to sleep for the whole night. Yet he thinks everything's going to be fine now, and he's just going to stay and do his time. No, but he didn't trust Matt. He didn't trust Cash's friend. And mm-hmm. can you blame the guy? Look what mm-hmm. just happened. Mm-hmm. He he might be thinking survival of the fittest at this point. So, who knows? But something obviously changed his mind because he went looking for Cash. But then we get a couple of fantastical things that happen. One, we have, for whatever reason, Tango is now out of his cell. Why is he out of his cell, right? He was on trash duty. No, Cash no, was. Cash was. Oh, Cash, I'm sorry, was, yeah. So... What is he doing out of his cell? He was mopping. And then and then the second thing is, what the heck is Face doing leading the prison guards? I know, right? He was telling them where to go. They were having they had the dogs on them. Where are the real cops? Are you telling me this is a completely corrupt prison? Apparently it's Perrette's, you know, maximum security prison. Yeah, but it says that on the door. I got the impression that, yes, it's pretty much a corrupt prison in that most of it's corrupt, except for Matt and his people are not corrupt because, you know, his people come up and save them. Yeah, well, look how that worked out for him. So, and, of course, Matt gets killed by the limey British guy. Yeah. 
Now, did you obviously expect the double cross? Yes, 100%. Did you expect Matt? I thought originally Matt was setting him up. I didn't expect Matt to come rolling down dead. Him rolling down dead did surprise me. I knew there was going to be a setup because you had to, but I didn't know if Matt was part of it or not. And it turns out he wasn't, and, you know, he had to die. And then they go zipping around the prison, and somehow Cash has really good intuition on where they should be going next. Yep, because Tango keeps asking him, are you sure? Are you sure? He's all, yeah, totally. Let's just keep going this way. And then they get to the top of the roof, and you can tell that Cash is like, oh, fuck, what are we going to do now? And then he sees the power line. Which is, you know, quick foreshadowing in the point of, as they're going through all the little electricity things, he says, now don't touch anything or you might get electrocuted. You knew when the fight started between uh, Tango and Face, he was going into those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was no doubt that that's how he was going to die. So I like what, uh, so they're getting ready to jump to this wire. And uh, Cash says to Tango, I owe you one for back there, so... You can go first. <laughs> and then uh, Stone's like, fuck that. And uh, I like what Russell says. He says, if I don't make it, are you even going to try it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It depends how close you get. And, you know, it works out for cash. However, that fall should have broke his back. Or at least popped his knees or broke his legs or done something. And so Cash makes it, Tango's on his way, and of course we have to have an interruption because we haven't had a we haven't had Stallone kick someone's ass in a couple of minutes. And you were right, John, you totally saw it coming and he dispatches a face uh on the electrical uh panel thing and he gets electrocuted and then Stallone makes the jump, he does the fall, he makes it, and then he they got to find out what's going on, right? They got to find out who framed him, and and they already met him, but they don't know who he is. So, uh, Tango tells Cash, if it gets too too hot for you on the outside, go to the club, Cleopatra Club, and ask for Catherine. Then they part. They goes their several ways. Did you catch the line right before they part? Uh, that they made a comment of... Uh, oh, he had to stop and get Danish? Are gonna st- he stopped and get a Danish, and what did he say? He said, a, no, a, I hate Danish. A coffee and a Danish. Yeah. What'd you do? Stop to get a coffee and a Danish? He says, I hate Danish. Do you because, know? Yeah, because that is what Brigitte Nelson is. She's Danish. Yes. And, and they've just gone through their divorce. So they stuck that in just to snipe at her a bit. Yeah. The detectives visit the witness who framed them in court. Tango intercepts Weiler, who admits that Rakeen was in charge of the setup. Weiler gets killed in a car bomb while trying to escape. Cash discovers that Skinner made the incriminating tapes himself. He starts destroying Skinner's expensive equipment until he agrees to help exonerate them. Cash finds Catherine, Tango's sister, who goes by Kiki, but is quickly surrounded by cops. She helps Cash escape the nightclub by dressing him as a female. Later that night, Tango reunites with Cash and the duo are met at Kiki's house by Schroeder. Tango's commanding officer. He gives them Rakeen's address and tells them that they have 24 hours to figure out who he works for. Tango and Cash apprehend Rakeen and trick him into telling them Perrette's name. Cash's weapons expert friend Owen lets them borrow a high-tech assault vehicle and the duo storm into Perrette's headquarters to confront the crime lord. However, Perrette has kidnapped Kiki and has started a timer that will trigger the building's automatic self-destruction procedure. 
After killing Perrette's core security personnel and fellow crime lords, Rakeen appears holding Kiki at knife point. He throws her aside to fight the detectives hand-to-hand, and Cash kills him. Perrette appears in a hall of mirrors holding a gun to Kiki's head. Both detectives pick out the correct Perrette and shoot him in the forehead. They gather Kiki and barely escape as the building explodes. They joke half-seriously about Cash's desire to date Kiki as a newspaper headline announces they've been completely vindicated and returned to the LAPD as heroes. Roll credits. What do you think of them gathering the evidence to exonerate themselves? Did you feel like this whole bit was rushed or was it a good pace? Oh, the pacing was fine. The pacing was set up from the very beginning. You didn't like it? Well, I just felt, i did not saying I didn't like it because I appreciate the fast pace of this movie, but I just thought it was interesting that the whole setup of you know making them guilty was a lot longer than them exonerating themselves. And literally it was just, you know, Tango went to one place, it didn't work out. Cash went to one place, he got everything he needs to prove their innocence. Yeah, and so he had to meet him at Catherine's to give mm-hmm. him the information. Uh, what would you guys think of Terry Hatcher? Uh, I don't know. I thought she was all right. You know, I uh, I figured that we were going to see her again because she she's third on the billing. Oh, she's a dancer. Oh, all right. And then when she started playing the drums, it's like, eh, all right, whatever. Let's move on. I appreciate the, you know, kind of, I think, why she was added into the movie. You know, she was added in for a little bit of comic, you know, or comic effect. She was added in as eye candy. But was she really a necessary character? I don't know. No, but I mean, the movie isn't better with her and the movie isn't better without her. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. I mean, if that's how you felt, I thought she was fine. I thought the adding of the sister gives it uh, another element between Tango and Cash, something, uh, another rivalry, if you will. And I'm glad that Cash wins. <laughs> so uh, Cash goes to the club, and like you were saying, Professor, she's a dancer there. And she, I don't know, I guess hears Cash asking or something because she just comes down to him at the end of her routine and says, I'm Catherine. Yeah, how does she know that? I figured that out. I was wondering about that myself, and she makes a comment oh, yeah, about, of I course, know. she followed the media when her brother or in, uh, tango was in trouble so i'm sure she saw all the pictures of them in the newspaper that's what oh. i deduced as well during the movie as soon as she said the newspaper bit yeah, yeah. so she recognized him right away yeah. I, I got a question why did all those cops show up at the cleopatra club because they must have figured out that Catherine works there and they were waiting for tango to show up is my guess yeah because yeah, yeah. oh yeah they weren't they sister. weren't going i don't think they were going for cash i think they were going to talk to uh Catherine and to see if ray shows up I also for thought sure. that they probably staked her out, that they were waiting for them to show up. So that's why you had all the police outside. Well, if they were so fucking smart, how come they didn't stake out her house? I don't know. But he, you know, he wouldn't be stupid enough to go to the house. He would go to her place of business. He did. He did go to her house. Yeah. So, so you're, you're looking for this escaped convict. And I guess that's the reason why you only need 23 police officers. At a strip joint, by the way. So... Because I know when I get out of prison, the first place I want to go. Well, right? it's a strip joint where the women don't take their clothes off. Yeah, I know. And the 15-year-old me was like, God damn it, is what it is. Well, we got our gratuitous nude scene right in the beginning, and it was well, taken and out a- of the way. And after this scene, too, because they go back into the dressing room. Oh. I forgot how many pairs of breasts there were in this film. 
I, I appreciated uh, Rust? Besides that, I appreciated oh so uh, so oh so sillily. I can't say sillily. That's not a word. But uh, the slightly er- erotic undercurrent of this movie, we have Kurt Russell in a dress. We have uh, Kurt Russell in and Arnold Tr- and, and uh, Sylvester Stallone naked in the shower together. You know, they're hanging out in the shower. Okay, I, I guess it's just kind of sort of poking fun at, at this or something. But Even the back massage, like when she's on top of him making all the moaning noises. God, you said that like with, with a lot of disgust on your face. Did no. you not like that scene? That scene was funny. I, I agree, you know, that the whole setup. But it did seem a little ridiculous with her making all those noises on top of him where it was obvious what they were trying oh, to portray. It, it, was, it was over the top. It was, yes, it was very much over the top, that is for sure. But it was played for comedic laughs. Yeah. And, I mean, if you really want to break it down, why did Tango stay so long? Once he saw that, if he, if he thought what was happening was happening, why did he sit there and linger? I mean, we could do this all day about 80s movies, but um, yeah, it it definitely was thrown in for comedic sake. And I, I kind of did like, I did like uh, ex, uh, Stallone's expression when uh, uh, Terry Hatcher says something and Stallone mouths like, what the fuck? <laughs> that was a cute moment. Uh, going back to Professor Open the Door to this, Kurt Russell in drag in the women's clothing. What do you think of that whole escape scene? Oh, I thought it was funny. It, it, it was cute. It was cute. I just kept thinking Kurt Russell in drag looks like Kurt Russell in drag. I don't think he would have fooled any of those police officers. But he, of course, it's in the script that way. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would say don't overthink it, bud. But mm-hmm. too late. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a fine scene. It was fine. So back at Kiki's house, uh, you know, <laughs> she's giving cash massage and Ray's there and then uh Ray's captain shows up and he tackles him through the screen and is I, and this how you screen all of your guests wah, wah, wah. this was another goof that I just want to point out when he crashes through the door they just dist- obliterates the door yet when they show the next scene and the, the screen on top of the commander or the captain or whatever it's all put back together yeah again. I, I was noticing that uh when I watched it last I'm like oh look continuity Good job, guys. And Jeffrey Lewis, for once, playing a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't play a good guy what, very often. What's that, no. a hairpiece? I don't know. I kinda felt like that was a like, pretty bad Wait, 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 wait. Are we talking about this, the hair on his head or his mustache? The hair on his head. Because the mustache looked pretty fake, too. <laughs> but he played a captain, right? I mean, he the that role or that character was very much every captain from every cop movie that we'd ever seen and we come down to this theme that we uh from every other movie you have 24 hours to figure this shit out the one thing i do appreciate about this movie that you know we talked about tropes and how there's always you know a lot of these similar tropes from all these different movies well one trope we see in all movies is there's always the police captain who doesn't get along with the loose cannon cop or with the cop who doesn't play by the rules in this one both captains are very supportive of their officers yeah. and so you don't see that in many movies well i I don't know. Um, There's always the, you got one more chance, or I'm taking your badge, or... Nah, I mean, that's just a theme, I guess. But, you know, when you said that, I started thinking about cops and their captains, and 
most of the captains that I'm thinking of support their cops. Mm-hmm. So I understand what you're saying, and I know that it's a, a it's a theme that's uh, uh, used a lot. You know, you're I'm gonna fucking bust you to the wall. You're you know. Well, the first but, one that comes to mind was Cobra, and that kind of situation where there's always the tension between the great cop and whoever's above him. Yeah, that would be an example. Well, his captain supported him. It was that other guy that didn't like mm-hmm. him, right? Um, so, yeah, these two, their captains, you know, are on their side because the captain even says, you know, I was only able to buy you 24 hours. So go figure this shit out. So after, um, you know, Ray assaults his captain and they figure out what's going on and what's their next move, uh, Tango and Cash go visit. They check out that address. So they take that address and they go to the house and they find Rakeen. Well, he thinks he found Cash, but dun, dun, dun. Uh, again, I've seen, you know, the, the twist was coming. You knew. Yeah. Yeah, one had the other's back, which was fun. And so they took him up to the, uh, oh, my God, I just put this together. The same exact scene happens in The Heat mm-hmm. with Sandra Bullock and mm-hmm. Melissa McCarthy. Not only the, you know, the bad guy thinks he's got the cop, but the uh, partner's there, but also them hanging the dude off the roof or balcony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just totally put that together. I thought it was interesting that he was ready to be dropped. He had no problem dying. But then when he's tied up, he's afraid of the grenade. Because he knew they weren't going to drop him. But the grenade, you had no idea. Mm. And this is the bit where we get, you know, bad cop, worse cop. And I liked uh, Stallone's psychoness here. And I liked the dialogue between Kurt Russell and Stallone. I thought... Cash sells it. Very much so, Cash sells it. And... uh, it just really worked. They get the information. Rakeen squeals like a pig. And they do the whole bit where he drops the grenade down his pants. And which it's is? A dud. It's, which is another way of telling you to maybe look forward to this same type of motif later in the film. Which is? What I just said. Would that uh, be an example of? What I just said? Yes. And then we get a little bit more of that banter. And we realize that Cash is not going to let up on Kiki. Right, and every time they're about to give each other a high five, something always interrupts it, which you know at the end of the movie it's going to be complete. But anyways. Now, is this where we get to Owen? Right, so after this, they figure out where Perret is uh, in his evil lair um, quarry, I guess. And so they want to go in prepared so they go see cash's buddy owen who we were introduced earlier and who i think easily is uh the most valuable player uh for the supporting cast i thought he was so much fun and just the way he was and his quirkiness and he accepts cash and you know cash accepts him he's he's their cue i don't remember that's exactly how i looked at him right I don't remember that actor's name, but I've seen him in a lot of different so things. So much stuff. And he's always fun in every movie he's Michael in. Pollard. Michael Pollard. Yeah. 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 I, I really liked him in this uh, in this role. So uh, we, t- get, we get the RV from hell. The RV from hell. We uh, added, you know, cool cars to the must-have list or the criteria list early on. Mm-hmm. And I would say that this definitely fits the bill. Do you know what that uh, car was built from? Uh, No, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. 1988 Chevrolet K2500 truck. 
So it was actually a pickup truck that they just built on the back of. Yeah. It, well, the suspension and everything, it looks like a pickup truck. Now, I thought it was interesting, too, when Owen was describing the vehicle and explaining kind of some of the features and everything. He makes a comment about that this, this RV, this truck, could crash through a brick wall. What was that another example of? They don't crash through a brick wall. They go through a wall. They go through a gate. They go through a gate. Oh, I thought it was actually looked like a wall to me. No, it was a gate. Okay. So, ha-ha! But I Foreshadowing w- backfires on your ass. I, I will say that when when we go in, it does very much look like a gate. There is there is one thing that I was disappointed with in, in that rig, in, in, that, in, in the RV from hell. No cup holders? No, not the cup holders. The that, radio? That the uh, that the gun on the side of the van, we never see fire. I was wondering about that, too. They never really used that. Maybe they didn't know how. That could you know, be. It, was, it was a prototype, right? And they were just trying to do the best of what they had. And they just went in circles, Well, really. plus, plus Cash had witnessed earlier that dog gun thing explode. Maybe he was afraid to use the gun. Oh, I don't think, if, I don't think Cash is afraid of anything. I don't know. He got a little jumpy when he saw that dog explode. Well, it was a loud fucking bang. You would have got jumpy too, buddy. Wouldn't you be worried about the side gun exploding? No, wait, dude. I would have worried more about the car blowing up as soon as I turned it on. Once I'm halfway there, let's give the gun a shot. Did you hear the story behind that vehicle while they were filming? No. In one of the scenes, you see the, the truck catch on fire. Well, apparently, not only did it catch on fire, but they had trouble putting it out to the point where Stallone almost got burned. Oh, really? It, it singed some of his hair. What did you think of the chasing? Uh, it was okay. It was very uh, kind of paint by numbers. You knew that at some point they were going to have to ditch the rig, and you knew at some point Owen was going to come on the radio and go, guys, guys. I liked having him on the radio. Why, why aren't you talking to me? You know, mm-hmm. just a little comic relief. The, one of the things I thought was, and maybe it's just because I'm not not expecting enough from this movie, but this guy must have thought that the army was coming in to attack him at some point. That the fact that he had such the big guns on top of those monster trucks. Who are that? you talking about, Perret? Perret. Yeah, he's taking all kinds of countermeasures. Yeah, he had some crazy things. First of all, you know, the big guns on the thing. And what kind of, of course, what kind of evil mastermind guy has a self-destruct at his gun drug warehouse? Yeah, well, we're going to get to that point in a second. But yeah, uh, he is very much an over-the-top warlord. You know, he definitely is the classic definition of your 80s action movie villain. Mm-hmm. For sure. I thought that the chase scene was ridiculous. It, it was so absurd having them immediately being confronted by all of these uh, vehicles that are armed to the nines that, as John just pointed out, firing missiles from the top of the cab. And they are instantly, you know, confronting them. And next thing you know, you have, you know... Uh, these super vehicles that are crashing into them. My gosh, what what were you expecting? Apparently, you were ready. You know, I wonder if there's like nukes in there or something because the security is so amped up. I yeah. Think. So the next thing you know, they go crashing into the warehouse, and uh, I, I did like the fact that they came in on on the the tractors that from the quarry, right? The construction equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and they get in, and now they have to go find Kiki, and this is where well, they don't even know that Kiki's been kidnapped at this point, which is another action trope. 
sorry, professor, uh, of, of course, someone has to be kidnapped and held by the boss guy. It's, right. It's someone needs to be for ransom. Up yeah. the sleeve. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're right. They don't know. They're just going to go get Perrette. And um, at this point, do they even know who Perrette is? They've heard him, but yeah. I don't think they've ever seen him well, unless they that, did some. Oh, no, no. They do because Owen gives them the information. Yeah, uh, so they know of the him, network. but they, they haven't seen him. Well, at the prison, they saw his silhouette, and they heard his voice when he gave one of his little monologues. Yeah. Yeah, but that was about it. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't know if they would. I don't know if they would be able to pick him up out of a no. lineup, though. Mm-hmm. No. So, yeah, how do you know? But they know Quan and Lopez are there, and so they dispatch of them. Pretty quick. Yeah. Two, and, week, two weeks in a row, James Holland. I was just thinking that same fucking thing when I was watching yeah, it. Yeah, which is, of course, Kurt Russell and Hong in a movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for some reason, uh, you know, when we have uh, when we have the showdown with uh, Requeen, and he has uh, the the grenade goes goes off down his pants. Shocker! And then <laughs> for some reason, all of a sudden, we get this kicking guy coming into the fight as well. Where did he come from all of a sudden? Okay, let me ask you this. Does it matter? Because Stallone needed someone to fight. He did. Right? Because <laughs> I, I thought the same thing. I I remember thinking that same thing way back when, when I saw it. I'm like, where the fuck did this guy come from? I read a rumor on the internet, which I had to verify myself, that that was actually Jean-Claude Van Damme in an uncredited role. I stopped the freeze frame. It is not him. It's not even close. Not even close. Yeah, I don't know why you listen to those rumors on the internet. That's just silly. I thought it was going to be kind of like a you know sep- six step separation kind of thing of how you can connect all these movies together. Not not even close. No, if that was the case, we would have heard about that a long time mm-hmm. ago. And so yeah, uh, Rakeen and Kurt Russell have to fight, and Tango and this martial artist have to fight. And naturally, our heroes win. And, uh, you know, at that point, this is where we find out that Kiki has been abducted. And, you know, he puts, Rakeen puts a grenade by her, behind her head, because, you know, turnaround is fair play. But the bad guys in this whole third act are kind of taken care of easily, because I think we are at the point of the movie where we need to start wrapping things up. And, you know, you're getting close to that hour 30, hour 40 time mark. And we know that it's going to, everything's going to wrap up quickly. And so naturally we have to have our showdown between our antagonists and our protagonists. And we get the Hall of Mirrors from Enter the Dragon. Mm-hmm. What's I going was actually on here? thinking that. Yeah. Would you get this whole bit where they get Perrette? I mean, I understand. I understand it has to go down this way because Perrette's not going to physically fight anybody, right? That's why he's got henchmen. I'm wondering. So he decides that's it. I'm I'm checking out here because he's staying in the building. The timer's counting down, and he's staying in the building. He's not leaving. So I guess he's decided he's done. And yeah, why turn on the self destruct? I don't know. Is this a fucking spaceship? Yeah, the whole point of that, he, he was taking out Tango and Cash because they were costing him so much money. They were just, you know, taking all of his weapons. They're taking all of his drugs. Now he's blowing up his main headquarters that has all of his weapons and drugs. Like, you know, Professor was saying, did he expect to get out alive or was he just going to go up in a ball of flame? Who knows? Who knows why madmen do what they do? I don't know how many times I got to tell you guys that, especially during this segment. Um, 
But yeah, fucking crazy. Uh, what'd you guys think of the bit on how they each found out which Perrette was real? That was going to be one of my first questions when they they shoot him. I you know my first thought was how the fuck did they know or was it just dumb luck? Well, no, they tell us. They, yeah, they, which they tell us afterwards. They both had a reason that they're going to shoot him in the knee. And then I uh, a callback to uh, sights. Uh, Cash, he's all damn. My sights off, and Tango, yeah, so is mine. Which is a callback to who's been fucking with my sights, right? You know what line popped in my head right after they shot both of them? Shot him in the head. What? It's just been revoked. <laughs> Did you ever see that Family Guy episode? Uh, he said, "I love it because Peter Griffin says it for when it doesn't even fucking apply." He, he, just throughout the series, every so often they fit he, he that just in. That. And of course, Roadhouse. Mm-hmm. You know, so God bless Family Guy. Uh, so yeah, they kill Perrette. They escape in the nick of time because that's what our action heroes do. And we come to find out that Cash is in fact going to date. Uh, Tango's sister, and you know you get this kite, ki- this cute little back and forth between the two. Then they give each other the high five. We cut to the newspaper. newspaper. Paper. Here's my thing: when anybody ever gives somebody a high five, you know what drives me nuts is the when f- you give someone a high five and you clamp hands. Yeah, why do that? Right? It's just a high five, you know. But for our last, whatever. For what I think is the last kind of movie trope. It's the freeze frame always on the high five. That they do the high five and they have to freeze right there. Oh, yeah. Or something where there's a freeze frame. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. And then you get that catchy tune and the movie's over. And you have just spent an hour and 40-ish minutes in pure heaven. Which I have no idea how it is that destroying everything and killing everybody makes them innocent. And that goes through every single action movie, probably up until the 2000s, really. And maybe even happening today, right? If you're a cop, how do you get away with blowing everything up? No repercussions? Nothing? Well, that's what, when I read that the director had left or been fired or quit or whatever, they had actually gone through like several directors. They had fired like photography people, everything. I felt like this whole wrap up of just showing the newspaper was let's just get this movie done and over with and move on. Oh, it was very much a slap at the end. We're just going to throw it on there and tie everything up with a nice bow. Mm-hmm. For sure. I I don't know if it had anything to do with the production or what was going on, but it, it was definitely that. It was meant to do what you just said. So You broke out of prison? Well, okay. Just don't do it again. Yeah. Oh, you were kind of responsible in blowing up a multi-million dollar complex at a quarry? Okay, just you watch it, you little rascal, yeah. you. All of the evidence and everything, except for one little audio cassette tape, everything's been destroyed. Perfect. All your, you know, all the bad guys that could possibly be witnesses, that's fine. Yeah, well, when you're fucking Tango and Cash, buddy. Did this Tango movie Cash. not feel like, and maybe I'm thinking kind of in the mind of Lethal Weapon, that this could have been a good setup for future movies. Like, they could have done a series of these, two or three. Oh, they probably could have, but other other franchises have tried and failed. I think that having a buddy cop uh, uh, st- ongoing story is really hard to do. You look at the classic ones throughout history, I mean, other than Lethal Weapon... I mean, who else do you want to see come back? You only got two 48 hours. 
Yeah. Right. But, you know, also you got Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. You got Thelma and Louise. There was no sequels to those, though. Exactly. That's my point. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, like, like and kind of like we were saying earlier, it really depends on the characters and how it keeps it going. Riggs and Murtaugh are probably easily my favorite buddy cops uh, duos in any movie. What about you? Well, um, I was thinking of another set of buddies that we reviewed already for one of our earlier pods. Anyone? Hang on. Anyone? How long ago? Oh, Hot Fuzz? Not Hot Fuzz, but yes. Okay, like it. Uh, uh, buddy Cops, Buddy Cops, Buddy Cops. Buddy? No, not Buddy Cops, oh, just buddies. buddies. Oh, we're doing Buddy Films? Yeah, just the Buddies. Blues Brothers? Well, there is that too, but and they are actual brothers, supposedly. Yes. Uh, uh, are you thinking of Tommy Boy? I'm talking about Del Griffith and Neil Page, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Great buddies. Yeah, buddies. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I was talking about uh, buddy cops. Oh. Do you do you? Or, no, well, besides, I was, just, I was just talking about buddy movies in general. You know who my favorite two are? Sam and Frodo. Ah shit! Oh fuck! And now it's time for John's. Moment. This is the point in our podcast where I like to take whatever movie we're reviewing and compare it to the greatest movie series ever, Lord of the Rings. So for Tango and Cash, I would say that the fellowship consists of Tango, Cash, Captain Schroeder, Owen, Matt Skokowski, and Catherine, a.k.a. Kiki. Being that there are two stars who are over-the-top action heroes in this movie, they share equal billing, I would actually pick, you know, picking one of them to be Frodo is basically impossible. There are times in this movie that both Tango and Cash are also both Frodo and Sam. So I'm going to go with the idea that they are both equally Frodo and Sam. At different times throughout the movie, each one is the hero and each one is the sidekick. The closest we come to an Aragorn Aragorn in this movie is Captain Schroeder. In Return of the King, Aragorn used his troops to divert Sauron's attention away from Sam and Frodo, allowing them to complete their mission. Similarly, Captain Schroeder used his resources to divert the attention of, from our heroes to give them 24 hours. Who is Gandalf? Well, that one was a tough one because nobody really fit that role in this movie. The closest I could see is Owen, since he is a wizard when it comes to gadgets and weapons. Matt Skokowski, who is Cash's old CO, is Boromir. He unintentionally sacrificed his life to save our heroes. He had to know that helping them meant putting his life on the line. The only fellowship member that I struggle with placing is Catherine. She's a big help to our hero and provides some comic relief, but also becomes a pawn of the bad guy. So for her, I chose Pippin. Pippin was a help to our heroes, but also, Pippin was the one who touched the Palantir, which basically alerted Sauron to what was going on in Lord of the Rings. Also, Catherine, like Pippin, performs a musical number. Pippin performed musical numbers in the tavern and for Denthor II, steward of Gondor. He just didn't look as good as Catherine did, but I'm pretty sure also Pippin never gave Frodo a back rub. But you know, there was extra footage that we didn't see from the movie. Sauron, well, that's going to be Eve's, or Eve's Perret. 
like Sauron, he is the big bad who's always watching. He uses his power and his influence to affect our hero's journey as he strives to control everything. Sauron the White? Well, that's Requin. He worked for Sauron and is the key to Perret's scheme to destroy our heroes. That would make Quan and Lopez the Nazgul. Like the Nazgul in Lord of the Rings, they're always hovering around and die before the end of the movie. The inmates in the prison? Well, that's our orcs, which make face our Urukai. He seemed to be the toughest and kind of the leader, but also died fighting. Middle Earth? That's Southern California. Mordor? Perret's warehouse. And Mount Doom? Well, I guess that would be Perret's office where he dies. So... What is the precious? What is the one ring in Tango and Cash? In Lord of the Rings, the ring has a powerful effect on whoever carries it. It's a powerful tool, but it also can be, a devastating, can be devastating with a corrupting effect. In Tango and Cash, our heroes' reputations are very important to them. They keep talking about who's the top cop, who's the second cop, and they even joke, you know, banter between them about their reputations. Our big bad corrupts their reputations through his influence. And it's when the reputation turns bad that they go to prison. They ultimately destroy the negative effect on their reputations when they kill Perrette in his office area. And that's when we get to basically see that, you know, he dies. We get the big uh, high high five and we get the whole newspaper showing that they've been cleared. So this would make that one ring be their reputation the reputations that they carry with them. The ring's corruption is directly tied to Perrette's influence. So that is my comparison between Tango and Cash and Lord of the Rings. Bring on the grades. Well, I got to say that it's a, it's a good, in general, linking the people up who Sauron and Saruman, Saruman the White, Gandalf. And I can go with uh, Captain Schroeder being Aragon as well. So... I, I I I think that it's it's pretty good, but for the most part, I, it it's not hitting it out of the park. I'll give it a B. <clears throat> you give it a B. Give it a B. Yeah, look at you. Um, yeah, you could you could play the comparison game all um, all day long with any movie uh, with any characters. Uh, I think the trick is finding uh, what you're looking for, which is the the precious. And but that's fucking hard because I think in a lot of movies there isn't one, and I think that too. And for this particular one, I don't know if there is a precious. Uh, it was funny because I I I try and do I try and do it too. I try to go Lord of the Rings, and then when I can't come up with them, I'm like oh, fuck it, I won't do it anymore, <laughs> right? But and when I was watching uh, Lord of uh, <laughs> Lord of the Rings. When I was watching Tango and Cash, Tango and Cash remind me of Mary and Pippin if they went off on their own adventure outside of the Fellowship, right? I thought, oh, that would be kind of funny, you know. But, you know, overall, yeah, your comparison's uh, pretty spot on. Uh, I did like the uh, Aragorn and the Captain and, you know, buying them time. And I really, I, I did like the parallel between Aragorn buying time at the at that final battle to give Frodo, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so overall, I'm going to give this a C plus. And that was John's. Precious. Moment. 
I got one more little piece of trivia for you. Fire away. So, all right. So we are going to. (laughs) (laughs) So Tango's call sign by the dispatch is 20 William 12. Where have you heard that call sign before? It says lethal weapon, but is that, I thought it was 20 William 56. We'll have to go back and look. Yeah, I'll say my notes say that that is Martin and Riggs. Yeah. Well, your well, notes your Martin, notes also that's said Martin that, Riggs uh, right, call sign. But your notes also said that was Jean-Claude Van Damme kicking Stallone. So, but, I mean, grain of salt. Yeah. Grain of salt. I for for some reason my gut says 56, but it probably is 12 because I'm I'm wrong about that stuff you, all the time. You know, we're just going to have to go back and watch 1 and 2. What? Can we watch 3 too? I thought eventually we're, we're going to have roll. to we're going to have to review all three movies, so we might as well review them in order. There's four. There's four. Oh, four. Oh, well, they made four of those movies? Ugh. Did he just say, ugh? Well. Jill, I, if you're listening. I, yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you, man. I mean, you you try and come on the show and talk shit about any lethal weapon. And the professor and I. Oof. Do you know what my favorite thing is about the lethal weapon movies? The ending? No, that there are no more. No. What? Joe Pesci. Wow, he's fucking lovable. Yeah, that's the only thing I really appreciate about that movie. Yeah, well, but... Which it, means he only saw three. Or two. Or four. And he didn't see four because he didn't know there was four. But two, two's got to be where he, he loves him most. Oh, absolutely. But three, he's pretty good. Yeah. There's this guy, he had a house, <laughs> monkey on the stilts. Oh, oh, I remember, I remember. No, the one that I appreciate is uh, they always fuck you at the drive-thru. Oh, dude, I could, yeah, oh, fuck yeah. They know you're going to be miles away before you know you got fucked. And who gets fucked? Okay, Leo gets. But I'm not eating this fucking tuna. All right, so what do you guys think? You guys are ready to rate this bitch? I think I could be talked into it. Yeah, I'd be willing to rate this bitch. Hey, uh, Professor, how do we rate our movies? We rate our movies on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that you think is cinematic gold. You are ready to watch this movie anytime somebody says, hey, you want to watch this? Yes, I do. And then a one fuck movie is a movie where you're one and done. There's nothing about it that you ever care to see again. And you were curious about it, so you watched it. But no, you're not going to watch any of it. You won't even watch one of those little YouTube shorts. Eh, I've already seen it. And what's a zero? A zero is... (sighs) Who made me watch this movie? Somebody owes me two hours of my life back. And in other words, we just don't give a fuck. Hey, speaking of not giving a fuck, who wants to go first? You know what? I will go first this week. All right. Not giving a fucker? Fire away. (laughs) So does Tango and Cash deliver on our must-haves for a classic 80s action movie? Strong hero with quotable (laughs) one-liners? We got two for the price of one. Well, I'm sure it was... Bigger price than one. I mean, they had to pay through the roof for those two characters. Uh, a crazy level supervillain that only our heroes can beat. Well, our heroes had to beat through or had to battle through a lot of obstacles before they got to defeat the big bad rat sniffer. Chases and fight scenes. There were plenty of those. A final showdown. Yeah, we got one of those. An oh crap death scene for a bad guy. It was a little bit obvious what was coming, but yeah, sure, I'll say we did. Franchise potential. It could have easily spawned a bunch of sequels similar to the Lethal Weapon series. I think they would have all done quite well. Around a nine minute or around a ninety minute runtime. Well, Tango and Cash comes in at one hundred and four minutes, so pretty close to that requirement. 
Tango and Cash follows the same formula that made Lethal Weapon a good movie. Didn't say great, said good. Takes It takes two top-notch action stars, puts them in an impossible situation, throws in a ton of classic action tropes and quotable one-liners, adds in one of the worst British accents in movie histories and a creepy rat-sniffing Jack Palance, and you have one of the you know have a heck of a good time. It's actually a fun ride when you take this movie for what it's meant to be. The only issues that I had with this movie is that it felt like it was trying too hard to be every type of action movie. It even threw in you know guns and martial arts, car chases, everything, all thrown into one movie. Again, felt like it was going a little too hard. So basically, when it comes down to it, for me. This movie felt like a fill-in-the-blank type movie built on action tropes. So for that reason, I'm going to give this movie three fucks. I liked it uh, more than Cobra, but I don't. Th- I think I liked RoboCop and Big Trouble just a little bit more, so I kind of had to put it in the, in the middle there. Well, there you go. Three fucks. What do you think? All right, fine. I'll go. Okay. All right, so we are talking about Tango and Cash. It had been a long time since I'd seen this movie, and it was definitely uh, something that I'd watched several times over VHS. I found the movie to be uh, not necessarily memorable when I had watched it back in the day. You know, it's an easy enough watch. And watching it again for the pod, I found the movie to be about what I expected it to be. It didn't knock my socks off. It has a ton of... Uh, situations in the movie where they're just too fantastical and the fact that it's over the top i'm down with that that's fine but on the other hand it's not making it uh as enjoyable for me because of what happens between tango and cash in particular they don't ever really just talk to each other all they do is they just one line each other back and forth and the fact that they one line each other back and forth i feel like holds the movie back Terry Hatcher being in the movie, you know, other than being a pretty face, uh, I didn't necessarily feel compelled to have her be in the movie for any particular reason other than it's just something else for Tango and Cash to bicker and argue over. Jack Palance is a bad guy. I like him a lot as a bad guy. I, I really enjoyed him in Batman, which was also coincidentally the same year as this. And so I really appreciated him as the bad guy. But, you know, he is a little goofy about how affectionate he is towards his rats. The movie overall, having its action sequences are fun and easy to watch. And for the most part, it unfolds exactly how you expect it to unfold. And there were no surprises. And it's just kind of sort of a lighthearted guilty pleasure watch. It's something that I don't necessarily feel compelled to watch again anytime soon. I would, I would prefer to watch something like Bloodsport, Roadhouse. Roadhouse is something that I will always continue to watch if you know if I happen if I happen to be able to see it. And I think that you know as good as Tango and Cash is, and the two of them together, I think it's a good movie but not a great movie. So I'm giving it three fucks. Three fucks from the professor. Well, I was happy to get back in the swing of things with Tango and Cash because this is truly uh, what I would consider the definition of a 80s action flick. Uh, John went through all the criteria, and yes, it had all of them uh, in spades. 
Tango and Cash is very much a product of its time. And Tango and Cash is very much a product of every other action movie out there. But what saves it from being completely ridiculous in my book is the uh, chemistry between Stallone and Russell. You, uh, Professor had mentioned that they don't spend enough time to get to know them, like um, Riggs and Murtaugh, I guess. But with those two types of characters from the get-go, we are told what to expect and what we're getting. Um, and I think that for this particular movie, it works just fine. I don't need to, I don't need to know that they're buddy buddies or we know that they work well together and we know that the, this movie was a lot of fun. And so I, I would consider Riggs and Murtaugh top shelf, top shelf, buddy cops, uh, top shelf characters and Tango and Cash, they're kind of like the B level right but they're at the upper of the b level you know because they're still badasses uh stallone's turn from rambo to uh wall street cop i really enjoyed uh it was nice to see him out of his comfort zone and try the comedy and yes some of it didn't land because he's still stallone after all but some of it did and i think that you know good for him for trying it out uh kurt russell always a joy you know, it was almost like he was born to play these type of roles. Jack Palance, an over-the-top villain, absolutely. The fight scenes, I mean, hand-to-hand is Stallone's go-to. You know what I mean? He looks really good when he's doing hand-to-hand combat. Uh, we talked about tropes all night long, and yes, there are a thousand of them in this film, all the way from early 80s movies up until Die Hard, which was in 88, even Lethal Weapon 2 in 89. Anyways, uh, the culmination of all of this brought together a fun action movie. I really enjoy this movie. I am going to give Tango and Cash 4.25 fucks. So, three fucks from the professor, three fucks from the comic book guy, and 4.25 fucks from myself gives us an average of 3.4 fucks, which puts Tango and Cash... Behind Big Trouble in Little China. So it's definitely in a solid second place. Well, it should be in first place because Big Trouble doesn't belong on this list. But Oh, shut the fuck up. That's neither here nor there. So yeah, yeah. All right, so we got two more to go. Yeah, yeah. Before we crown our winner. All right, so moving on. In the cage match, do Tango and Cash stick together and work together? Fuck yes, they are a team. And I'm telling you, as of tonight... Tango and Cash are on top. You know, because I'm thinking having the two of them work together like that, it's going to mix things up in there. Agreed. They are brawlers, too. I was just thinking about that. Not only, you know, do they have their guns, but they were pretty good at taking out that whole jail cell riot group. Yeah, and you remember how we were talking about how you take out RoboCop? One guy's on all fours and the, uh, the other dude pushes. That's classically made for... Tango and cash. Yeah. Right. Now here's the tough question. Fire away. I got an answer. We take them all out. The two that are left are tango and cash. Who wins between the two of them? No, they can't fight each other. They give each other a high five. Two men enter. One man leaves. He does have a point. He does have a point. Well, come back to me. What are we doing next week? Yeah. Come back and <laughs> ask me next week. <laughs> okay. Uh, gun to my head. I think that tango takes out cash i kind of feel the same way because i think 
tango would lure him into like a sense of security of you know we're both going to go out together and then just shoot him no well no they they would be how i see it playing is uh everyone's gone it's down to them and it's just hand to hand now well, no, I think, no guns i think cash would say you know i slept with your sister bang he's dead that yeah, maybe maybe gun to your head who is it i don't know does uh i don't know does cash have the the rifle in his boot okay again no weapons okay not until the very he's very last match gadgets what he's got hidden gadgets that's so what it's still no weapons i'm waiting i'm gonna go with all right now i'm gonna go with cash (laughs) fuck you uh thank you professor thank you for answering the fucking question now that we're done with round eight we are moving on to round nine and ten and if you want to know the name of the movie that we will be reviewing next be sure to check out the website and any of our social media platforms. Hey, speaking of which, hey, John, where can they find us? Well, they can always, as you mentioned, find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where we all where we post all of our podcasts, our show notes, movie trivia, and anything else we feel like loading up there. They can find us on any of the social media sites and anywhere that hosts podcasts. All right. Uh, I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for always listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to thank everyone else who listens. And if you are a new listener, drop us a note. Let us know how we're doing. Do you hate us? Do you like us? Do you like one of us more than the other? Do you all despise me the most? Hey, I'm a big boy. I can take it. So let us know in the comments. One thing else I want to throw out is I mentioned Ron Vega's uh, podcast last week, Wrath of the Iothans. One thing I forgot to mention is is go listen to it. It is a great podcast. There are a lot of fun episodes. He did a fantastic one where they reviewed uh, the movie The Thing. Uh, Go check it out. It's a fun listen to. So for three guys in a flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. Why is it every time I look at you and I say something, it's like it's the first time you've ever heard words. And, and you still can't fucking say anything. Killing me. Killing me. I have to save the talent for the show. Shit. Every time I think of Jack Palance, it's Batman, right? Mm-hmm. That's and, where I always go. And remember, you are my number one guy. That's some lazy shit there. I know. Well... I'm fucking tired, man. I'm thinking Tango. And I feel, okay, bitch. Do you want to just go to the ratings? (laughs) I give Tango and Cash. (laughs) So Tango and Cash is the last action movie released in the 80s. Thank you. So the, why would, see, I'm not going to use any of that before, so the thank you doesn't make any sense. Now I got to cut around it. Thank you. You son of a bitch. As far as movies released in 1986, Professor, where does this land? Well, you're talking about 1989. God damn it. <laughs> and with movies coming in, I was all with the Top Gun and this and that, but what else could you stab something with in a male prison? Oh, for fuck's sake, I got to draw him I didn't a think it was called that. All right, fuck off. Good night.